Hello, my babies, and welcome once again to Poker in the Ears. I'm Uncle Daddy Joe Stapleton. He's my work wife, James Hardigan. Happy Towel Day, Joe. And yes, that is a real thing. Do not question me, John Delano. I'm not making this up. I do a whole five seconds of research every single week. But thank you for being a regular contributor to our Discord. What if I'm not questioning you, but just have a follow-up question as to what Towel Day is? As I said, Joe, five seconds of research. I don't read the blurb. <laughs> I just take the title. Coming up on today's show, we're going between between the lines. James, you've actually been working on this project. I haven't really been allowed near it <laughs> until today. Why don't you tell everyone what it's all about? When you say working on this project, there are a lot of people at PokerStars who have been working very hard on this. My contribution is in the video. I'm a talking head. I am the voice of the EPT in these videos. But it is a collaboration between Stars and Oracle Red Bull Racing. It is a new video series documenting iconic EPT wins, documenting Formula One wins. The first episode went live this week, and we're going to talk about it. Very good. I watched it. I watched it. I, wa I watched it mostly for the bits I was in, which wasn't a lot, to be honest. Um... Speaking of Between the Lines, though, we're going to be speaking to Will Courtney, head of race strategy for Red Bull. I am very much looking forward to that. This is like speaking to a very high-level coach on a professional sports team. Not like it is. And you remember, Joe, that is the question that you wanted to ask, Will. I told you to write it down on a post-it note, so hopefully you will ask him how his role translates into other sports. Yes, which I realize it might be a tough question because I don't know how other sports work either. <laughs> uh, other than that, I got a couple of glitches in the Matrix I wanted to share with you guys, maybe an anecdote or two. I had a really terrible uh, audition this week. I told you about James. There was some developments over that overnight. I kind of want to share. I might as well share it with everybody. Fine. Um, this week's super fan is Jamie Robinson, and he is doing trivia on Happy Gilmore to try to win a Sunday million ticket and some swag. Uh, we haven't talked much about movies and TV because of, well, originally because of Scoop, right? We have a little downtime during Scoop a lot of the time, but this week we had no downtime during any of the events we covered. So, and I'm going to do this in UK time. We go live at 6 p.m. I think on Monday night, we were done at 10 past eight. On Tuesday night, we were done at like five minutes to eight. And on Wednesday night, we were done at half past eight. So we never went beyond two and a half hours. They were three very quick final tables. We will go into detail about Scoop on next week's podcast, by the way. It's going to be our full spring championship of online poker wrap-up, and Howard will be on next week's show. Great. So, typically, towards the end of those events, those were all hour-and-a-half, two-hour, two-and-a-half-hour events we had. Uh, typically, by, like, hour four or five, we're like, geez, what's, what's been on TV? What video games have been playing when I'm talking to Griff? I saved all that chat. Uh, for later in the night, and later in the night never happens. So I did have a couple of movies I wanted to talk about. The first one I think we both saw. Yes. Air. Oh, this is the Nike movie with Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. Yeah, it, it rolled around on Prime. I didn't realize it was an Amazon Studios movie and therefore was available for free on Prime. Um, It was perfectly entertaining. It was perfectly watchable. I'm pretty sure in three months' time I'll have completely forgotten about it, but I enjoyed it. I saw all these reviews roll in for, for Air, how amazing it is and how funny it is and how what a great movie it is. And I also thought it was fine. I just couldn't really get behind rooting for these two guys that already were very successful, like or three guys that were already like they're already rich white dudes like. I don't mind it. It was interesting, but like it really wasn't like a like I, didn't, I wasn't emotionally invested. Like, oh my god, this guy's his getting a divorce. Like, man, is his wife gonna get half of his hundred and fifty thousand dollar nineteen ninety two salary? Like, probably. Who cares? It, These guys it, are rich, successful guys already. There was a significant lack of jeopardy in this. Which multi billion dollar <laughs> corporation is going to sign this future multi millionaire? Nike's um, only has 19% of the sneaker market. Holy shit. 
<laughs> it's still billions of dollars. Anyway, it, okay. It was, it was an interesting story. I do say maybe I'd be feeling differently about it if it had been put on a pedestal like it had for you. I'd seen no reviews of this, and I didn't realize people were raving about it because yeah. it's fine. I saw another very terrible movie which led into uh, – so I watched this movie called Ruse de Guerre. Sorry, Operation Fortune, colon, Ruse de Guerre. Hold on a second. This is a movie directed by Guy Ritchie. This is Guy Ritchie. Okay. I still – look. The, the credit I, directed yeah. by Guy Ritchie should be a clue as to what you're about to see. I still see most Guy Ritchie movies. I just don't make Why? it a point to do it right away because I, I I always feel like maybe people it's like you know it's like Nickelback. I don't think Nickelback is nearly <laughs> as bad as people make Nickelback out to I, be. By the way, I love this Guy Ritchie, the Nickelback of contemporary cinema. <laughs> yes, we're making it a thing. So I watched this movie, Ruse the Gear. It was not very good. I don't like to go bang on about movies not being good, but it reminded me of elements. It kind of had ripped off a bunch of elements of the movie True Lies, which my girlfriend had never seen. That's now a TV series, right? Is it? Re you know, I read something. It was being re rebooted somehow, whatever. Look, uh, without getting going down the whole reboot travesty, path at the moment i'll save that for when we watch the tv show i forgot like i knew that true lies was good true lies is is perfect like true lies is a perfect movie it is really really great it's a strong action movie i think it's a remake right of a of a french movie um oh so it, the, the reboot in itself is not too kind of insulting to the film when you consider that the film itself is a sure. remake but no it is pretty good um, I'm gonna not gonna lie to you. There's a couple of things in it which I don't think hold up particularly well. Looking looking at through a 2023 lens, the whole kind of like Jamie Lee Curtis strip show is slightly awkward now, and also Art Malik's villain is a little bit kind of on the nose. But yeah, I, I still enjoy watching it to this day. I think the Jamie Lee Curtis scene is supposed to be kind of cringe, but um, that was actually my girlfriend's favorite part. I can always count on her to really like the parts that are directed at teenage boys. Um, just not that we've watched it yet, but I'm pretty excited or excited, sad, mixed emotions about Succession and Barry ending, both ending this Sunday night. That's true. Um, I'm actually, yeah, I don't know. I'm, 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 I'm curious to see how both wrap up. Endings are hard, as we say, so I'm a little bit worried. Um, all right, let's talk Quantumania real quick. I know that you said your piece on Quantumania. Worst but Marvel movie ever. I have a controversial take on Quantumania. Um, not that the overall movie I'm going to say was good. It was fine. It was, I don't know, it was slightly below fine, I guess I would say. Uh, not Just not interested in, in it, really, and what's going on. Well, question, James. When you're in the quantum realm, what are you breathing? Aren't you smaller than an oxygen molecule? Like, what? How uh, does... Uh, I'm sorry, Joe, you're going to have to drink? ask someone who gives a poop? shit. Yeah, well, they don't give a shit there either, apparently. So the one bit I did like, this is my controversial take, is I found the MODOK storyline to actually be the most compelling part of this movie. And the only thing I was mildly interested in was Corey stole. Look, I was... Poorly executed, did not care. Thought it was just as silly as everyone else did, the way Modoc looked. However, his like turn, his character arc was the only thing I was remotely invested in in this movie. So just to be clear, a teenage girl says to him, don't be a dick, and that turns him from being a killing machine to actually a good guy. Oh, I'm come not on. saying that it come works. On. I'm saying it was the it was the most interesting bit of the movie. Anyway, that's it. One poker-related thing that Griffin sent me, actually a bunch of people sent me this, is apparently in the Michael J. Fox documentary, Michael J. Fox uses my phrase, I, all I had left was a chip in a chair. Wow. Yeah. So Does he credit you with that? He doesn't credit you. Do you like get I said, a thank never, you in the credits of the documentary? I, as you know, I've never asked for credit. For that particular phrase, there are other things I would like to get credit for. This is my gift to the world. Now, not just the poker world, but the entertainment world at large. I'm just tickled to know that maybe Michael J. Fox watches poker. That's true. That's true. So what are these matrix glitches that you were alluding to? 
So, all right. So, uh, I, I I had a weird day the other day where I started off doing Adam Levy's podcast, um, which I uh, had a lot of fun doing. The episode's not out yet, but he's got a I, podcast called... I didn't know that Adam had a podcast. Yeah, well, I mean, it's only a couple of episodes deep. And, okay, um, fair enough. And it's got a great title. It's called Long Story Long, which if you've ever spent time with Adam, you know that that's accurate. Um, <laughs> and so... I decided to walk from finishing. I had a stand-up show later that night, and I like to walk to clear my head. So I decided to walk from Adam's podcast to the place where the venue where the show was, and it's like a two and a half hour walk. Um, wow, that is a long distance to cover. Yeah, I, maybe it wasn't not quite. I mean, I stopped and stuff. It's it was like a three and a half four mile walk. Um, okay. So as I'm walking down the street, I pass a guy wearing, and you guys all know it very well that. That far, that same Fargo shirt the that looks like a Coke, the red T-shirt that I always wear on broadcast when I'm playing poker. And that morning, I had it in my hand to wear it, and then in my other hand was a red Wisconsin shirt that I got on my recent trip to Wisconsin in the same style. And I chose Wisconsin. And as I was walking down the street, I saw this guy wearing the Fargo shirt, and I had to stop him. He was wearing headphones, and I was like, "Hey, can you?" Uh, can, and he pulled his headphones out, and I was like. I have that exact same shirt. No I almost this I came this close well. to wearing it today, and the guy couldn't have been any less interested. He was no just shit. like, "What?" <laughs> there was no way that that exchange was ever going to work out for you. But bless who you for else trying. has that shirt? That's crazy. I got that shirt in Fargo, like in a gift shop in Fargo, North Dakota. I would thought that whoever did it, whoever else did that same fucking thing. All right, whatever. They didn't care. So then I go. To the then I go to Starbucks to camp out for a while before my show and and like get get write some notes and try to figure out what my set was gonna be and the bathroom lock on uh, the the door uh, at at the Starbucks the code to get into the bathroom was the exact same as my street address and I have a five digit street. It a is five, five digits. Did, you you live in, you live in the tens address. of thousands on your road. Yeah, it's in it's in the nineteen thousands. So that also happened, and I was like blown away, and I was like, "That's my actual house." And guess who didn't care? The person working at Starbucks didn't care Again, about this glitch in the matrix. That, it's kind of one of those things where you kind of like it, it amuses you, and you can share that information <laughs> with me. Why the hell are you telling poor some poor guy who works in that Starbucks? Show I, I should have taken all this as a sign because I had my first not great comedy show in a while. I wouldn't okay. say I bombed, but uh, first they kept introducing me as the headliner. Oh, the headliner, headline. I don't like that when it's like not a real comedy show. It's like in a Mexican restaurant, like because it just makes everybody cross their arms. Sorry, go, oh, sorry. The comedy your- gig was in a Mexican restaurant. Yeah, in LA, all the all the good comedy gigs are in Mexican restaurants. I love it. No, no more Mexican that? food references, Joe. Yeah, no, of course that's why I write it in there. It's my entire life. It, the sound wasn't great in there. It was oddly set up. There was like a bar literally in the way. Um, and right at the beginning of my set, uh, I had set my beer on a, on a stool in front of me, and it fell off the stool like in the first 90 seconds. So there was a point where like everyone started laughing, and it was in the middle of one of my jokes. Oh, I'm so sorry. And yeah, it just it all went from there. So, all right, the embarrassing thing. So I didn't have a great show, but the embarrassing thing I, have to, I want to share with you, this is last-minute addition to the show, is, James, I told you about how I finally booked one of these. I do all these voice auditions for voiceover work to record at home, and now they have this system where uh, you don't even audition. They just listen to a tape of your voice, and you're not directed in the session. They just send you a script and tell you how to read it, and then you send them back like an, uh, a wave file. This kind of makes sense, because I do think that this is hugely subjective when they're cast voices for commercials and it's yeah. basically do they like the sound of this person's voice and correct they either so like the- it or they don't it's no reflection on you or your performance so they booked me and the audition not the audition but the job was um for me to say the word and uh, as if someone is pitching someone this product and i'm supposed to go and this is and Occasionally, you and I will make references to the uh, comedy show Toast of London, which features various scenes where Stephen Toast is doing voiceover work with Clem Fandango. And I believe in one of them, he just has to say the word, yes, 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 over and over again. And when you told me about this, I could just see you in that booth just saying the word and, 
and and over and over and over again. Yeah. So um, last night I get an email from my agent at 1030. And uh, it says there's a revision on this. Can you please uh, redo it? And do you want to hear? So I'm either either I'm going to send the audio file of my original take for everyone to play, or I'll just mimic it here, which is this. And, 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 okay. Okay. Um, and here's the note. The ands are far too whiny. They should be way flatter. Think more that Kyle is building intrigue, and each time he says and instead of sounding whiny and geeky. You know when I was saying it's all about subjectivity and whether someone's voice is right for something? Yeah. Yeah. If they didn't want whiny and geeky, they probably shouldn't have gone in the direction of booking Joe Stapleton because those are two tenets to your voice, which are very, very strong. Yeah, I was. I just wrote back and I said, like, I, I wasn't going for whiny, so maybe they just think my voice is whiny. And I'm not one that would... I don't argue, right? Someone's like, oh, like, if they had given me, like, an acting note, but I wasn't doing it whiny, so... I re-recorded it, but I was like, I don't know that I can make it much less whiny than this. So anyway, of the two times I've booked voiceover jobs, one time they replaced me. I basically got fired after recording it. And it sounds like I'm halfway to getting fired from this one. My agent is going to fucking hate me. I've made that agency a grand total of $95 (laughs) in five years. And both times I got fired before the thing actually aired. So I don't know what to fucking do anymore. It's, anyway, it's a good thing that somehow the poker world still accepts you after all these years. It's just, uh, it's just, you know, I, it, basically anytime I think like, oh, like I'm gonna, I can do some stuff outside. But no, I can't. No, I can't. And I'm literally headed to Colorado now. We're recording this at fucking three o'clock in the morning so that I can get on a plane and go to a comedy festival. I've got four shows in the next four days. Not allowed to repeat any material. And I will be um, a mile or more up in the air. I'll, it'll be, it's not the altitude, James. It's the attitude. So before Joe gets on a plane, let's talk about a different form of transportation. Let's talk about automobiles because we are going between the lines on this week's podcast, this new video series. Uh, there are future episodes coming, but the first episode dropped this week. It's available on the PokerStars YouTube channel, and it goes behind the scenes on the world of F1, goes behind the scenes on the poker circuit. And when we discussed this briefly on the Scoop live streams, I said, Joe, that whilst if you look at the Venn diagram, there is going to be that slice in the middle of people who know both sports. I think this is about poker fans being able to learn a bit about F1 and Formula One fans being introduced to strategic concepts in poker. Yeah, so what wh- what would you say is more important of those two things? Uh, wh- wh- who is this? Is there one? What's the split of who this is aimed at? I, I, I don't know is the honest answer. I guess from our point of view, we want to bring Formula One fans into yeah. the world of poker. But equally, I guess it will be interesting to introduce poker fans to Formula One and make them understand why this partnership exists between Stars and Oracle Red Bull Racing. And it does that by drawing parallels between these EPT moments and these Grand Prix wins for Red Bull, for drivers like Max Verstappen and Sergio Perez. And in this episode, episode one, the two events it highlights are EPT Prague in 2015, which was won by Hussein Ensan, and the Monaco Grand Prix from last year, which was won by Sergio Perez. Now, interestingly, This might be the only Grand Prix I have ever watched from start to finish. I just happened to be at home on a Sunday last year. It was after we got back from Monaco ourselves. And I'm like, oh my God, how the hell are they going to race in that? Because the weather was horrific. And that plays a huge part in the storyline of the approach that Red Bull took towards that race. The episode title is Fortune Favors the Brave. And the key connection here is a high-risk strategy that was applied early on by both Ensan at the poker table and by the Red Bull guys on the racetrack. Now, Joe, you've already mentioned that I'm involved in this project. I've said I'm a talking head in the series. So I knew what to expect. You, I guess, came into this completely cold. So thoughts? I did come into it completely cold. Look, I thought that the visuals 
of F1 were really awesome. Um, obviously, I had seen all the poker stuff before. I hadn't really looked at Hossein's run with this sort of lens. Um, even if you had asked me to describe it, I, I probably could have described the individual hands, but wouldn't have um, sort of thought to make this comparison. But once it's broken down, it works pretty well. Um, I think there was enough in it as someone who doesn't know F1 to make me a little bit more interested in F1. I don't think you learn a ton about how F1 as a sport works just yet after episode one. But if you're the sort of person that is into poker, I can see why between the F1 visuals and the parallels it draws that it would be appealing. Now, I have a question for you, though. When you were watching this race live, you said, right? Yes. When you were watching it live... Did it seem to you like they were implying a high risk reward strategy? Was that clear until that was pointed out to you at the, at the time or I, no? I, I can't say I was paying enough attention to the commentary for that to be drawn to my attention. To me, it was more kind of like, I really, really hope that this doesn't turn into like a, a, a clusterfuck where all these cars start crashing into each other. And there were some accidents along the way because in those conditions on those streets, it is to a certain degree inevitable. I think what's interesting, you say about we'd never looked at Hussein Ensan's win through this lens. I find it fascinating that when you consider how ICM heavy final tables are now, and you only have to look at any of the scoop streams that we've been doing for the last two weeks, and we'll do again Monday to Wednesday of next week to realize that pretty much everyone now understands ICM. And in, your, in his position at that final table is one of the shorter stacks, Hussein Ensan a lot of players in his position will just be thinking about laddering. And he was like, nah, going to play for the win. Want to get a big stack. Want to be in contention to actually take this down. And so he played at least a couple of hands, one significantly, which is detailed in this show, where it's like, that doesn't often happen. That doesn't normally happen. It is that high-risk, high-reward approach, which is very much playing for the win and not worrying about laddering from fourth to third or somehow getting into a position to make a deal to lock up better than third place prize money. Yeah, and as someone who really understood what was going on in the poker, I wished that I understood the driving decisions to that extent, right? It's clear in the episode what's going on. I just wish I knew a little bit more technically about, I'm sure the same way if an F1 person um, hears some of you know the commentary that's on the thing, they might be able to contextually pick up what those things mean, but maybe not would become more interested in and technically yeah. what those things mean. I mean, I gleaned very clearly from this, and it was great to hear from both Hussein Ensan, the champion of this poker tournament, and from Sergio Perez, the winner yeah. of this Grand Prix, to hear from both of them. And in hearing from Perez and the rest of the Red Bull team, that understanding was it was about the decision to switch tires. And so much of what I understand Formula One strategy to be is based around tyres, and we'll hear it from Will in just a moment, and I'm sure he'll go into more detail about that. So that was the decision for them, which clearly paid off and allowed him to win this race. Um, but it was great for me to relive a moment that I knew so well. Hussein Ensan is kind of one of the EPT champions who's very close to our heart, and yeah. it's one of the final tables I remember very clearly. But it was nice to pick out a few story points along the way, a few key hands, if you like, that really helped him um, seal that victory and saw him play in some spots unconventionally, which is very much his style, to confuse, to trick his opponents, to force them to make mistakes and get him that victory. I, I was hoping that there would be a parallel drawn between the hand where Hossein and Gleb have the misunderstanding over who said raise and who said call. And the the racing comparison would be all of the cars come to a four-way stop at the same time. And they're like, no, you go ahead. No, you go ahead. No, you go ahead. <laughs> yeah. And there's a nice bit of sportsmanship. But I guess, I guess there really is no way to... Uh, there probably aren't any four-way stops at the Mount. I don't know. I haven't seen Monaco yet, but... I mean, I was I really enjoyed watching this. It's only kind of 10 or 11 minutes long, uh, so it won't take up much of your day. Future episodes coming out. I can tell you the poker 
moments that feature in those okay. episodes. We are going to be looking at Giuliano Bendinelli's incredible comeback in EPT Barcelona in 2022, coming back from one big blind to win it. So clearly that's going to be a tale of overcoming adversity. We are going Chipping to look... Chipping a chair and a steering wheel. Indeed. We are going to look <laughs> at uh, Steve O'Dwyer winning the EPT Grand Final in Monte Carlo in 2013. And I think that is going to be a tale of patience. And last but by no means least, a very recent win, Michelle Dettani winning the PCA in January of 2023. And again, there will be appropriate Formula One moments that we will contrast and compare with those poker victories. But to celebrate the release of the first episode of this series and also to look ahead to the 2023 Monaco Grand Prix, which is happening this weekend. We are delighted to be joined by Will Courtney. Will is the head of race strategy for Oracle Red Bull Racing. Will, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's uh, good to be here. And the obvious point to start with is your role at Red Bull, head of race strategy. What does that actually mean? So for race strategy, is really about how we uh, sort of use the tyres, which tyres we're going to use and when, when we're going to make pit stops during the race. Um, and they're the sort of key aspects to, to strategy in Formula One. So what we're trying to do is trying to work out the best race strategy to get the car to the end of the race in the highest possible position. So we're not making the car faster. We're just trying to make the most of the, of the car that we have. So it's more of the tactics. When does most of that planning happen? Weeks ahead of time, days ahead of time, while the race is happening? Uh, a bit of all that. So our, our prep, we'd usually start the week before. Um, so we'll run some simulations. We'll do some a whole load of analysis, looking at what we think are the likely strategies we're going to uh, be doing in the race. Um, and then we'll refine that as we do the practice sessions. We get a bit more data. Um, so that really allows us to sort of hone in uh, in more detail of, of what we expect for the strategy. Uh, we do qualifying. Obviously, we might qualify well or, or poorly, and that affects what strategy we're going to do. Uh, but then during the race as well, we're, we're constantly re-evaluating uh, our position, what our rivals are doing, uh, and what our best course of action is during the race. So it, during the race, it's quite an intense period, uh, and there's a lot going on. You said we. How many people in your team, Will? Uh, well, in the strategy group, it's not actually that big. You're talking sort of four or five people. But right. uh, it's not just the strategy team. You've also got all the other engineers on the pit wall. Uh, there's plenty of people back in the operations room in, in Milton Keynes. Um, and the drivers are also you know, an important part of, of, uh, of the information and the data that we receive that goes into making our decisions. So in terms of the, the total number of people, it's a very large number. Man, that's wild. So I guess um, there may not be a direct parallel, uh, but if you could, let's say compared to like an NFL team, is it like uh, you're similar to the head coach, to an offensive coordinator, to a to a general manager? Uh, um, I guess, uh, yeah, I suppose. I mean, I don't know NFL so well, I'm afraid, but uh, <laughs> I would imagine that they they've probably got uh, a guy there that's sort of figuring out the tactics okay in terms of okay how are we going to do the plays um who's going to pass to who and and how are you going to try and outwit your opponents an offensive coordinator it feels like is yeah, probably yeah it does feel like that so so during the race who are you speaking to directly like if you have a decision you're like okay we need to make this happen who are you telling that to um so I'm talking to the, the engineers and talking to my, my strategy team as well. Uh, and there's a lot of back and forth, um, sharing of information, ideas. Um, I'm also talking to Christian, to, to Adrian. Um, and uh, to some extent, we'll also keep in touch with the drivers as well. Wow. Um, so uh, there's plenty of people that say it's trying to get make use of everyone's experience uh, and then basically try and gather as much information and data as we can uh, to make the best decision that we can. How did you end up, A, working in this sport and B, working in this role? <laughs> uh, well, uh, I studied engineering at university um, and uh, I actually joined the team about 20 years ago. Um, and I started off then um, doing the electronics on the car because that, that was more my sort of engineering degree. Right. Um, and uh, so I was traveling to all the races 
um, but mainly looking after say, the electronic systems. Um, and then the, the guy that was doing the strategy before me, uh, he decided he, he didn't want to do that anymore. Uh, and I'd always got on pretty well and been quite interested in the strategy side. So they asked if would I be interested in in joining the strategy team, and uh, I jumped at the chance. It's uh, it's uh, it's a really interesting and, and exciting role. So did you ever think that when you're in school, like learning engineering, that this is where it could possibly take you? Uh, I mean, uh, as, as a kid, I used to you know watch the races on a Sunday afternoon with my, with oh, my dad cool. sat on the sofa. So. You know, I was always a Formula One fan watching Nigel Mansell and Damon Hill and yeah. all the other sort of famous British drivers um, racing. So F1 is something I was always into. Um, but I have to admit, when I, when I was doing engineering, it wasn't specifically to, to do F1. Yeah. But, uh, then uh, the opportunity came up. I, I, I got an opportunity and, uh, and, and, yeah, never looked back since. I mean, it's always been a huge sport it's always had a huge fan base but it seems to have become really huge in recent years is it the netflix factor is it moving into new markets how do you explain this sudden explosion in popularity for formula one yeah i i totally agree i think it's it's got really big in in recent times um i mean i think netflix has certainly helped with that um all the Drive to Survive series have been very well received. And I think yeah. it's it's opened Formula One up to a lot of fans that maybe weren't that interested in it in the past. Um, and I think, you know, there's stuff like social media and uh, and the increasing amount of sort of digital media and content and things that's out there. Uh, and F1 have done a good job as well. You know, there's a lot more uh, promotion of it, a lot more, you know, exciting you know, camera angles and new events. We go to America three times this year. Um, so that's really helped with the, with the U.S. audience. So I think there's a whole range of, of factors that uh, that have uh, sort of increased the sport's popularity. Being that you're in the eye of the storm um, and that we can see the explosion of the popularity on the outside, but you're on the inside, can you feel it? Does it feel um, that it's really blowing up? And does that pr- add additional pressure to your job? Um, I think, I mean, yes you can feel it you you know you you see say a lot more stuff on social media and, and, and that kind of thing and say the drive to survive is, is another good example um so you know that it, there's a lot more people interested in watching now in terms of the pressure though i think a it's the pressure is good um if it's used in the right way it really helps you to to motivate you and to focus you um but also i think um uh i, I think uh it's important to not to let the pressure get to you. Uh, you really need to stay calm and stay focused on doing, doing the best job you can. And I think there's always been pressure to do the best job we can, regardless whether it was now or 15, 20 years ago. Yeah, I mean, coping with the pressure, staying calm, there's definitely a, a poker parallel there for sure. Uh, for people who are new to Formula One, for people who are discovering the sport for the first time and think that it's just about having a fast car and a good driver, I mean, what actually goes in to winning a race? All the different elements from your part, but all the other teams as well. I mean, yeah, there's a, there's a huge amount of effort. I think uh, a lot of people think we just sort of turn up to a race weekend, put the doors down on the truck and the car rolls out and we're off we go. But, uh, <laughs> you know, we've got, uh, several hundred people all back at the factory all working together to to get two cars to go around a racetrack um so we've got all the sort of design and research uh then all the manufacturing of the parts everything obviously is is very bespoke to our car um and we need to make sure a it, it works it's reliable it produces the right level of performance um and uh and also, yeah, then at the track side that we, we operate successfully. So we make the right decisions at the right times. The drivers are doing their part, not crashing into the barriers and getting the best lap time they can out of the car. So there's, there's a huge number of people that are all trying to work together with that, with that same aim. Um, so it's, it's a big business. The huge number of people, and of course, one of them being the driver. And I'm very curious as to how big of a role the driver plays in that. You know, we look at poker, and obviously the cards you're dealt matter a lot, and the cards that are end up on the board matter a lot. But ultimately, it's the player that's in control of them. It's the player that really um, 
can take bad cards and make something good happen out of them, can take good cards and make something bad happen out of them if, if it's not in the right hands of the right person. So wh- what percentage is, is the driver a factor in all this? I mean, the driver is obviously an extremely important part of the part of the puzzle, if you like. Um, obviously, they're trying to get the best performance they can out of the car. Um, but I think for them, there's also a, a strategy for them that they need to understand and they need to execute. So um, tyre management is a very key aspect of Formula One. Uh, the tyres are designed to have limited durability. So the drivers need to understand when is a good time to attack and to push or when is a good time to maybe a bit more conservative, hold back and, and be patient. Um, so that's something we'll talk to them. But obviously the, the good drivers already kind of understand it and have a good feeling for that too. So that's something we'll work together. But a, a good driver can make a really huge difference. Is there, when it comes, now that you brought up tyres, I guess I just have a follow-up question. Is there... Look, most of my experience of these things is in video games. Is there a, a HUD that tells you like when your tires are wearing out? Or is that something you just have to know based on what's going on? Is, how much of it is like a readout versus uh, just knowledge? Tires is, a, is, is the key thing about strategy. That's, that's the most important thing for us to understand. And uh, they're, they're quite a black art. It's very difficult to really nice. understand exactly how the tires are, are going to perform. So even when they're driving around the around the track, we don't really know how warm the tires are or what kind of condition they're in. And so you hope that they're performing well. Um, the drivers can feel quite a lot. We can see quite a lot in the telemetry data that's coming back from the car. And obviously we can measure their performance and things like the lap times of the lap times starting to drop off and, and so on and so on. So we do have quite a lot of data, but it's all about how we interpret that data and really understand it to then try and figure out what's actually happening. And uh, it's very easy to get surprised and caught out. Love it. I mean, obviously, poker is an individual game, and it's the player making all the decisions themselves. This is very much a team sport, and you've already alluded to the fact that you've got people on site at the race. You've also got the team back at base in Milton Keynes. You're all talking to each other. Did disagreements ever occur? Is it sometimes hard to find a single kind of, you know, con- concise, decisive solution to a problem or the right way to go? Sometimes. Uh, I mean, I think that what makes Formula One interesting, I mean, particularly for, for me, is that there is there's never a guarantee this is the right answer or this is the wrong answer. We're always operating in that sort of gray area of risk. Yeah. Where, okay probably this is the right thing to do, but I might be unlucky or something might happen that means that actually my choice was the wrong thing to do. So it's it's then about how you judge that risk and, and, and weigh up those different factors as to as to what you end up deciding to do. And obviously different people have different opinions on that. But we try very hard as a team to sort of structure our discussion and our, and our analysis um, to make sure it doesn't turn into an argument we might have different opinions, uh, but then we'll try and summarize those opinions as quickly as we possibly can. Uh, and if we still can't decide, then it's, I guess it's up to Christian to make the final call. But um, usually we're all on the same page and, um, and hopefully the, the recommendations that I make uh, turn out to be the right one. But, um, but uh, yeah, certainly it's never clear cut. I'm I'm loving all the gray area, all the you know the sort of guts that need to be listened to, and these various things that there's science to it, but also just sort of a lot of feel, uh, which you know obviously there's tons of parallels to poker in that respect. Also, another parallel I'd like to focus on, if I can, is luck. In what ways does luck play a role in F1 racing? it makes it plays a huge role luck plays a very big role um i mean we'll see it um if the safety car for instance happens to come out at just the right time if you pit under the safety car it's it's a cheap stop it doesn't cost you as much time as as it would do under race normal racing circumstances so if the safety car comes out just at the right moment for you then normally that's a really big benefit and you'll do much better in the race result and obviously the opposite is true but there's other things like you know you might you might have a, a bit of weather at the right time or an incident might happen just ahead of you or uh, all these different things. So certainly luck is a big factor. 
Uh, but for us, what we're trying to do as best we can is kind of, again, manage those risks. So we have an idea of what's the chance of a safety car happening, what's the chance of it raining and so on and so on. So that based on what we expect, the likelihood of these different things occurring, uh, we can hopefully try and make the best decision overall. Of all the races that you've been involved in, is there a standout one for you where you kind of feel that due to... I crushed it in this <laughs> race. <laughs> due to your strategic approach, due to the decisions you made, where you can basically proudly say, they say we got this 100% right. I'm sure there are several, but is there a standout one? Do you have a personal favorite? I think one of my, one of my personal favorite races, actually quite a while ago now, but it was in, in China. I think it was, um, it could be... Uh, 10 years ago or something now it was it was well, maybe not that long it was a while ago um but uh anyway yeah in china we were we weren't that competitive we were sort of running around fourth and sixth or something in the race uh and uh, and the cars ahead of us were a bit quicker so um we were we were okay but we certainly we weren't likely to win the race um and then uh a safety car came out about two-thirds of the way through the race and we'd already discussed it and we'd already planned if the safety car comes out, then we'll make the pit stop. It was it was a bit of a risk because we were going to give up places to do so. Um, so we were potentially losing points if, if it didn't work out. Uh, but anyway, the safety car came out. We'd already told the drivers, if we see the safety car, then box. So the safety car comes out just before they get to the pit entry. They know what to do. They dive into the pits. Our pit crew did a great job turn the cars around, get fresh tires on when they're out the pit lane. So now we're, we're effectively sitting sixth, seventh, something like that. Uh, but the cars ahead of us had all stayed out. And now with our fresh tires, our, our guys just made mincemeat of the cars ahead and, and smashed their way through the, through the traffic. Um, Max, unfortunately, um, in trying to overtake one of the cars ahead, had a bit of an off, which, which scuppered his chances a bit, but, but Daniel Ricardo uh, managed to overtake all the guys ahead pretty cleanly and, and he went on to win the race. So I think that was, for me was a really great moment where we went from having no hope of winning to a strategy call that was executed and, uh, and uh, we won the race as a result of that. You keep talking about risk and these high risk plays. Are you, I'm assuming there are as many occasions as they pay off as where they don't pay off. <laughs> Of course, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, generally, you you try to only sort of take more risk if you feel you need to. So when you have less to lose. So if your qualifying has gone badly and out of position, um, then then you'll probably take more risk. And you accept the fact that maybe that won't pay off or, or you might get unlucky and you might even finish worse off than you were. Um, but... Uh, I think then it's about say judging, yeah, do we want to give this a try? It might not work, but we haven't got an awful lot to lose, so let's give it a go. Um, but yeah, sometimes you're unlucky. And, and the, the whole problem is is that you can you can say 99 times out of 100, that risk will pay off. But yeah. if you happen to just get that one time out of 100 where the race doesn't go your way, well, then that's, that's bad luck. But that's how it is sometimes. Yeah. I've heard you mention a few times something called the safety car, and I would assume that uh, safety plays a huge role in either in limitations or just like it has to be a constant thing on everyone's minds. Um, just talk to us a little bit, if you can, about that and you know how seriously that's taken behind the scenes. I think that, you know the safety is, is paramount. Uh, I think another area that formula one has improved a lot in recent years is, is the safety involved and the the strength of the cars you know we added the halo a few years back and and we've already seen i think that's probably saved a, at least a few lives since it's been introduced um so i always think it's quite incredible the kind of crashes that you'll see happen and the drivers will just get out of the cars and, and walk away and i think that's testament to the effort that f1 the fia and, and the teams have put into to really improving the safety um so yeah I, I think it's really really a really positive thing about the sport is how seriously they take it and and how they don't want to risk people's lives so if it's raining really hard they'll red flag the race rather than just letting everyone drive around and 
crashing into the barriers. All that kind of thing is, is taken very seriously. Uh, I have a question, Will, and I imagine that the answer would be different depending on which member of the team and which area they looked after. Uh, when you achieve success in Formula One, what percentage would you say is engineering? What percentage is strategy? And what percentage is the driver? Uh, it depends an awful lot on the circumstances. So, right. I mean, for instance, our, our car this year is pretty quick. Um, so uh, when you've got a quick car, really strategy, I, I have to admit, don't tell my boss this, but it, isn't, <laughs> it, is, it, it probably isn't so important because the car is so quick that more or less whatever strategy you do within reason, uh, you've probably got a good chance of a good result. But I think then the strategy becomes key when when you don't have such a fast car and you've got other cars which are, are much more on a par with you then strategy becomes extremely important because you're you're trying to pick the best tactics you can to beat your rival who's who's fairly evenly matching with you um so yeah the the difference between the engineering and or the car design if you like and the strategy it varies depending on the circumstances um and obviously the the driver's always critical in all all of the situations um Without without a good driver, you're probably not going to have good results. Uh, forgive me for asking this question. Why wouldn't you always have a quick car? Why like why why is there what is the disparity between vehicles and why does it ex- why doesn't everyone have the fastest car possible? Um, well, everyone has the fastest car that they can do. But uh, again, uh, Formula One is is dominated by aerodynamics. Um, and again, aerodynamics is is not an easy science. So it's all about. Trying. So it hasn't been it hasn't been solved yet. No, no. And then and then every when every time when we have more or less solved it, they'll change the rules. So everyone's back to square one again. So uh, beginning of 2022, we had a completely different set of regulations. So it was almost like a complete reset, uh, and everyone's got to you know almost redesign the wheel again. Um, so. Everyone obviously is trying to do their best, but uh, different teams have different uh, levels of budget and resource available and different expertise and and different approaches and and sort of how they're going to design the car. So some teams will get it right. Some teams will get it wrong. Um, And uh, at the moment, we're on a bit of a purple patch, and I'm hoping that will continue for a while. But uh, uh, you never know. Other teams are are working hard. I'm sure they're going to catch up, and it's only going to get harder for us. I'm assuming that the edges that, you kind of find in terms of design, in terms of strategy, in terms of the driver, we're talking what, like fractions of seconds? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think at the moment that the, the F1 field's covered by about a one and a half seconds or something like that at the moment. Wow. Um, oh, sorry, that's know, the difference between the fastest car and the slowest car is yeah. one and a half seconds? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, exactly. So in the midfield particularly, it's extremely tight. So, if, if uh, a typical midfield car can find a, a performance upgrade that gives them a couple of tenths a second a lap, that's that's about five or six, seven positions on the grid sometimes. Um, you know, and, and it's not just the car. Obviously, the drivers have got to do that lap time. So I, I think it's always so impressive how these drivers can drive to within such a high level so consistently yeah. that, that, you know, the car, a tenth here or there in the car design will make that difference. Now, well, we are a few days away from the Monaco Grand Prix, as featured in episode one of Between the Lines. Why is this race so beloved? There are obviously many Grand Prix across the calendar year, but this is a personal favourite for so many people. I think Monaco is such a, a unique track. Uh, obviously, it's it's been on the on the calendar for uh, decades and decades, and. I think because it is the it's the glamour and the uniqueness of it that makes it such an unusual and special event. Um, you know, you talk to the drivers and and they all want to win Monaco. Um, Christian, he wants to win Monaco. You know, it's 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 what everybody wants to do. So you can have a a great year the rest of the year. If you don't win Monaco, then uh, it's always a bit tainted. Yeah. Um, but I think it's 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 such a challenge for the drivers because the you know it's such a tight twisty circuit the level of concentration that they need is is quite extreme um and uh, as a strategist it can be a bit of a nightmare because the overtaking is so difficult there and it's always a one-stop strategy you've basically got one decision to make in the race and it's make or break if you get it right you're in for a good day but if you make a mistake 
it, that's it, disaster, and it's game over. Well, that was actually going to be my next question. Looking at it through the lens of a strategist, rate the circuit on a scale of one to absolute nightmare. <laughs> oh, yeah, honestly, absolute nightmare. <laughs> it, it, it's 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 great when it goes well. You know, there's there's no better feeling than, than winning Monaco, and you know everyone's jumping in the swimming pool and and uh, spraying champagne around it. It's it's a great day out. But um, I've been on the other side of it as well, where you know we've made a bad decision, something's gone wrong, and, and we've lost the race as a result, and it's a pretty miserable feeling. And as I say, it's the challenge is, is there's no going back. If if something goes wrong, it's almost impossible to recover from that, and that's yeah. quite tough. Sorry, what do you consider to be a loss? By the way, anything but first. Uh, again, I think it depends on the on the car. Okay. Um, this year we are very competitive, so we're, we're hoping we've got a good chance of winning the race. But, um, but uh, you know, if if it turns out that one of the other teams is quicker than us, then well, that, sometimes that's just how it goes. But I think it's when you have the the opportunity of a win or a good result with the car that you have, and then something goes wrong and you and you finish, you, you know, you finish much lower than you should have done. Um, then I think that's a that's a loss. Yeah, I mean, obviously we go to Monaco every single year with the European Poker Tour. We're there a little bit earlier. We just come back from Monaco. Uh, and the one thing that we know from experience is that this strange principality is a very beautiful, glamorous place, but it is also weird, let's be honest. It has its own weather system, and it can go from bright sunshine one hour to thunderstorm the next. And I guess that's what you guys experienced last year, the weather not ideal for that race. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it did throw a bit of a curveball last year with a with a heavy rain just before the race started. Um and you're right, where it's the location of it with that sort of great big hill just behind the circuit yeah. really confuses things further. So, you know, it, it can be raining just the other side of the hill, but it doesn't make it over the hill and then the track <laughs> stays dry, or the other way around. Like yeah. the weather's fine and suddenly it comes up over the hill and you, you get drenched. Um, and I think that's what we saw last year. The, the forecast was saying, okay, there might be a little bit of light rain. And then suddenly <laughs> there's a monsoon. Um, and everyone's running around trying to find the extreme wet tires. And it's, it's it was a bit of a, a bit of a fuss. Just don't look at the weather at all this year. Just go in <laughs> totally blind. Don't even worry about it. Well, I've already looked at the weather for lunch next week. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, surprisingly enough, there's, there's showers predicted. So uh, so we may, we may not have another dry weekend yet. So considering where things are at right now with the car, with how the season's going, you're feeling pretty confident coming into this? We'd hope so, but I think it's not going to be easy. We uh, In uh, in Baku, uh, which is another circuit with obviously walls very close by, lots of low-speed corners. Um, Charles Leclerc, he put it on pole for, uh, for Ferrari there. So if he does that in, again in Monaco, it's going to be very difficult for us to beat him. So I think... Um, We've obviously got a quick car, but I think Ferrari particularly could be very close to us. And and you really, you've got to get everything spot on to win it. My final question, Will, very much looking through the lens of a poker guy, is the idea of having a Grand Prix in Vegas just seems so awesome. And again, this is going to be another race on the actual streets of a city. How excited are you to be going to Vegas? extremely excited to go um, the whole country is excited i've uh, yeah. never seen anything like this i think it's going to be an incredible weekend I, I was lucky enough to go on holiday to vegas a few years back and i had a really great time there so um i think going there with the formula one is it's just going to be insane um so uh i can't wait to go back and i i think it's going to be a really fun weekend hopefully it'll be a great race and um and uh and everyone will have a good time regardless I just have one last question. Just between me and you, no one else is listening. What do people on F1, what do you guys think about NASCAR? <laughs> do you know, I love a bit of uh, US racing as well. Like, it's, it is so different to Formula One. You know, just the personalities and, and the, the like, show. Oh, it's so and cute. Look how cute stuff. it is. Look at their little circle. It's so adorable. I know, but I mean, you know, you watch it and, the speed they're going around the tracks and you know it it, it always looks so you know in control and, and until something goes wrong and then i think you really have an appreciation of quite how fast they're going um so uh yeah it's, it's great fun to watch i think 
I enjoy motorsports of all kinds and um, and uh, Americans always know how to put on a good show. <laughs> that Thanks is for that. sure. Uh, mm-hmm. Will, it was great to meet you. Great to talk to you. Um, some great insights there. Thank you very much for giving up your time today. Absolute pleasure. Thanks, Lee. It's good to meet you too. Closing out this week's podcast with our Superfan versus Stapes contest. And we say hello to another Jamie. Two Jamies in a row. This one is Jamie Robinson. Hello. Hello, guys. Thanks for having me on. You are welcome. Dude, uh, Jamie Robinson's a fairly common name, but I feel like there's a Jamie Robinson that's been around for a long time. Is that you? Uh, in terms of you guys, I mean, I remember watching you back when the only way to get in contact was, I think it was like a nut. It's like a nuts email address. It's like the nuts only at way to pokerstars.tv. That is going back, back on. way yeah. more than a decade. Way back. Way back. Like, yeah, wow. I, I think Jamie's been with us for a while. So thanks for that, Jamie. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, I mean, there's not much to say. Um, not in IT. James will be delighted. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's been weird. Like the last two years, I've been. I'm basically my wife's carer, so I've not really, really been doing much. So sit at home, look after my wife, look after the kids. So uh, we get by. Like it's, it is what it is just now. So. Well, your wife is lucky to have you, uh, and so are your kids, and you get to spend uh, a lot of time with them, which is something a lot of people say they wish they could do. Uh, I, I hope you enjoy your kids, at least. Uh, just one, but yeah, he's, he's got <laughs> Wait, you only enjoy one, or you only have one? I only <laughs> don't have one. One is, one is plenty. One is absolutely okay. plenty. Good. Fair enough. Do you, do you get to play any poker with all these other responsibilities? Not very often. Like, uh, I'll I'll dabble online every now and again, but not like uh, not like a grinder or anything like. That. Like I'll play like like a dollar here, a dollar like two dollars. Nothing exciting. Like casino again, not doesn't happen very often, but it's cool. Like it's cool. Well, what what joy are you able to have in your life, Jamie? What really brings you a lot of happiness? Uh. It, it, it is poker. Like I'll like you guys are like you guys are on often enough. I'll I will i have all your content. I usually I get out, I get to go away like one week in the way a year where I'm like a, I'm a TD effectively. Like I'll run games like for my poker league. So I'll cool. like, so I enjoy that. Like I'll deal most of the final tables out there, things like that. So I enjoy. Okay, I, well the worst case scenario, you're you're stuck with us because we're probably going to still making. <laughs> live streams and podcasts so you'll still have plenty of us to watch and listen to but best case scenario we will give you the chance to play a 109 dollar tournament aka the sunday million because that is what you're playing for in this competition themed around the movie happy gilmore by the way no one was more delighted that you selected this subject than patrick because patrick is a keen golfer and he <laughs> likes this movie I was very curious as to what Patrick had to say about this movie. If it holds up at all, I'll give you a brief rundown of what my experience just was with this. Uh, Back in the day, Billy Madison, amazing, a classic, still holds up, is hilarious. Happy Gilmore is like the unofficial sequel to it. Not quite as good, in my opinion, but I rewatched this yesterday, and this movie held up pretty well also. Jamie, what do you say? Yeah, like I said, there's Billy Madison, there's Happy Gilmore, and the Waterboy. Like these three, just to me, happy out out the three, Happy Gilmore like gives me the just if I'm feeling like down, like just gives me like the best laugh. Like just it's it's dumb, but it's funny. It just it just makes me laugh. It is dumb and it is funny. I was Jamie. I just want to say thanks because I probably wouldn't have rewatched this movie on my own, and I'm really glad I did. Especially because I remember it being significantly worse than Billy Madison. I think it's actually pretty close. Yeah, that's that's totally fair. I mean, I was I wasn't going to rewatch it. Then Patrick, when Patrick came out, said, "Oh, I love this film." And I'm like, "Oh god, this question is going to be." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we got to make Patrick happy, we're, which makes me gonna happy. Get some, we're going to get some proper questions. So like, I best rewatch this. So basically, producer Chris and I were having a conversation and saying that what we should do is dispense with the traditional tiebreaker, and if it's a tied game, it comes down to judge Patrick, and Patrick has to say whether he liked the film or didn't. If he liked the film, the win goes to the superfan because they suggested it. If Patrick didn't like the film, Joe wins. 
I'm thinking of implementing it. Anyway, for the time being, we go with the standard mechanic. You know the deal, Jamie. There are 10 questions available, so please give me a number between 1 and 10. I mean, why change the habit of a lifetime? It is always coming 7. Okay, so question number 7. What was the place and the time of the prank on Happy? That is the ninth green at 9. Ninth green at 9 o'clock. You get 2 points. And Joe, you're up. Uh, question, what's a question I've never taken first? Question number eight. Question number eight. Which company does Happy do a commercial for to get money for his grandma's house? Subway Sandwich Restaurants. It is Subway for two points. So seven and eight are off the board. Jamie, you can have any other number. Uh, let's go ten. Question number ten. What's the name of Happy's giant former boss? Uh, Mr. Larson. Mr. Larson for two James. points. James, do you know who plays Mr. Larson? I don't. It's it's part of your world, your universe. You're going to have to tell me. Richard Keel. Jaws! <laughs> He's excellent in it also. He's really funny. Uh, I, I, I got to interview Richard Keel um, a couple of years before he died. Absolutely charming guy, and uh, basically dined out on playing Jaws for multiple decades. Yep. Uh, Joe, seven, eight, and ten have gone. Uh, number four, please. Number four. What country did Happy's mother move to? She moved to Egypt. She did for two points. Maximum points taken so far. No options selected. Uh, where do you want to go on the board next, Jamie? Uh, let's go back to number one, please. Okay, so you've unlocked a question with a bonus, and that means, Joe, you will get question five next, the only other question in this quiz that has a bonus attached. All right. Who was Happy and his dad's favorite ice hockey player? Oh. oh I'm going to need some choices, please. Okay, was it Stan Mikita, Terry O'Reilly, Bob Orr, or Leo Labine? Terry O'Reilly. Terry O'Reilly for a single point, but remember there is the bonus here. How did Happy's dad die? Uh, that is a Happy Gilmore puck to what I assume is the face or the throat. Like it's a Happy Gilmore shot. He was hit by an ice hockey puck, so you do get the bonus point. So, Joe, question number five. What celebrity did Happy play with in the Pro-Am event? That was Bob Parker. You get two points. If you can get the bonus right, you take a one-point lead. Who did Bob win the tournament with the previous year? Oh. It wasn't John Daly. It wasn't... It wasn't Chichi Rodriguez. Fuzzy Zeller. No, it was Nick Faldo. So Faldo. the game is still tied, and we have two rounds left. Jamie, two, three, six, or nine, please. Uh, two, please. What color jacket do you get for winning the Tour Championship? Uh, gold. It is gold for two points. Joe, three, six, or nine? I'll go with three, please. Which two characters, sorry, which three characters uh -oh. wave at Happy from above his grandma's house at the end of the film? It's Chubbs, Abraham Lincoln, and uh, the Alligator. Perfect. For two points. The game is still tied going into the final round. Choose carefully, Jamie. Six or nine? Six or nine? Six, please. What drink did Shooter ask Virginia to get him on their first interaction? Uh, it's a Diet Pepsi. It's a Diet Pepsi. So, Joe, you need to get question nine correct without taking the options to tie the game why did i leave nine for last this is such <laughs> a sweat which actress plays virginia venet that's julie bowen it is so we do have a tied game 10 points each we have a numerical answer for the tiebreaker jamie you can either go for it or you can let joe answer and then take the over or under on his answer the question is what is the estimated budget for the film Happy Gilmore? How much did it cost to make? Do you want to answer or do you want to let Joe answer? Mm, I'll let Joe answer. Joe, what do you think the estimated budget for Happy Gilmore is? The estimated budget for Happy Gilmore was $11 million. 
11 million is Joe's number. Do you want to go higher or lower than 11 million dollars? I believe I saw the answer just by chance. I believe it's I believe it's 12, so I'll take over. 12 million. You could have wow. got it straight away. You could have just answered. <laughs> you could have like a boss gone <laughs> Don't give it to Joe. I'll take it. 12 million. Boom. Ship the ticket. Ship the merch. Congratulations, wow. Jamie. You knew it. And so you win on the tiebreaker and you do get all of those prizes that I just mentioned. Perfect. Thank you, guys. Like, I, I did know it. I, it's kind of like trapping the aces, I guess, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> wow. He made a fool of me in my own game. <laughs> Jamie, uh, congratulations. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you guys for having me. Like, like I said, keep producing everything and good luck in Vegas, boys. Thank if you, very you much. go deep in the Sunday Million, I want to hear about it, please. Yeah, of course, man. Of course, I'll definitely. Like, I'll see what we can do for you. Okay, buddy. Best of luck to you, Jamie. Thank you. Thank you so much, boys. Cheers. All right, my babies, we're just about out of time for this week's show. Coming up next time, are we running out of time on this season? Okay, so it's complicated. We've got another episode next week. I already mentioned it's going to be our scoop recap. Full update from Howard Swains, and maybe we'll hear from someone who won player of the series, or maybe someone who made the final table of the high buy-in main events. After that episode, which will come out next Friday, we are then taking a two-week summer break... We then return in mid-June for a couple more shows, and then we are taking an extended summer break, what you commonly refer to, Joe, as our season finale. Got it. Okay, so we sort of are running out of time, but a couple of more episodes ago, at least four more episodes. People might remember that last year we recorded a couple of summer specials, so even when we're not here, you still get to hear from us because we release episodes during the summer we are going to record one summer special at the end of june which will probably get released midway through july we've teased this already we are going to do a poker movie monday double bill we are going to revisit lucky you with the poker consultant from that film and we are also finally going to look at what i understand is one of the worst films ever made the michael flatley spy drama blackbird Let's po- let's po- let's pose that as uh, a movie ever made, just in case we can get Michael Flatley. Unlikely, but yes, <laughs> we uh, we can we can be nice about it if you want. I'm gonna see if Matt Savage maybe will watch uh, Blackbird also. That'd be fun to get his take since he thinks Lucky You is better than anything. Uh, all right, guys, that's it. That's all the time we have got for this week's show. Hopefully, I don't bomb and veil. I will be back. Yes. Just very quickly, and again, apologies for keep saying the same thing over and over and over again. Um, If you do apply to be a super fan on Discord, and a reminder that in addition to the general podcast discussion channel, where we invite you to hang out and talk about the show, thank you for everyone who participates in that channel. We also have the Superfan Applications channel, and when you apply there, the next step is you will get a direct message from me. I've had cases of people who don't have their DMs open, who aren't receiving my messages, other people not checking their DMs, and I'm just moving down the list. And that means you will get skipped, you will get overlooked if you don't check for a DM from me. So stay on the Discord, link to the Pokestars Discord server in the podcast description. Um, Be a reg, come hang out, chat with us about the show. All right, that is all the time we've got for this week's show. Until next time. For James Hardigan, I am Joe Stapleton. Smell you later. 